0: So, tonight, I wanted to have our prayer sheets ready uh, to distribute tonight, uh, but there's still a couple of you that weren't on board, that weren't here the week we originally talked about it. Our first night of this study, we talked about praying for the lost. That, that, is, that the, there's no biblical precedent for praying for lost people, but rather praying for people to share the gospel with the lost is very much a biblical precedent that is repeated over and over again, pray for me that I may be able to share the gospel, to have open doors, to have uh, these opportunities. And so, uh, while we want to build a list of those that we are focused in on in desiring to share the gospel with, uh, I, I want to compile that, of course that's going to be a working thing, so I'm trying to lay the format out so you can add and, and change and develop that, but uh, recognizing that what we're really praying for, and that's why I asked, put your name on the paper so I know these are yours, because we're praying for you to have opportunities to share the gospel with them, and uh, specifically, and then in general, hopefully that will drive us to pray generally that we would all have the opportunity and lay hold of those opportunities to share Christ. So that was the first night of this study where we talked about that and the necessity. Well, actually, it was the second one because the first night we talked about what the end times are like and why it is so difficult to share the gospel in the end times uh, given the biblical description of them and how hard-hearted people are both inside the church and outside the church. And so we saw that in several passages. Now, last week we started back into the first the study aspect of how are we gonna share the gospel with the lost? And we distinguished between two words last week. There's another word we wanna distinguish between what is our responsibility. And the two words we distinguished between last week were what, class? Versus confronting versus convicting. So we are to confront people with the gospel. Can you see that? All right, I gotta find a color you can see here. Okay, confronting people with the gospel versus convicting. And these have two, uh, they are very different. And when we try to get into this role, we are going to do some injury. And I think this is what I've seen in people getting turned off to evangelistic presentations, where we start becoming convictors, try to convict them of their sin, rather than confront them over their sin. The ministry of conviction belongs to the Holy Spirit, not to you. And so we're not, and and if there's any place that this is most evident is in people you are the closest to, okay, your spouse, a family member, a close friend, a coworker that you have a good, uh, a strong uh, long-term relationship with, you tend to be more leaning towards this. You'll tend to uh, nag them about it and try to awaken their conscience And that's really the Holy Spirit's job. We talked about that the purpose of this is very different than the purpose of confronting them with sin. And so the confrontation process is about simply pointing out what is sin and what is their sin and their possession. And our goal, our aspiration is not to bring godly sorrow. That's the result of conviction. God brings that sorrow. The Holy Spirit brings that sorrowfulness for sin. That is necessary before they are ready to receive Christ their Savior. Uh, and so our the testimony from the Bible is what is the, the phrase? From John the Baptist to Jesus and, and Peter in Acts chapter 2, what is the word they keep using? Repent. Okay, and so our goal is to is repentance. Alright, so we are looking at well, if repentance is the first statement, to repent, is the action verb of the process of coming to Christ, what are you repenting of? Yeah, you're repenting of your position against God to turn to be someone for God, and so that which is offensive to God, you need to be able to identify. Before they can come to repentance, they need to know sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict them of it. We are simply confronting them with the concept and that becomes very critical in the end times because everyone does what is right in their own eyes and that there's no truth. There is no absolute standard of right and wrong. And we talked last week, what was the standard we were going to use last week to confront them with right and wrong? Okay, so one of the standards we're going to use is their own moral code. What is, and just as a review, because we had several missing last week, what do we mean by that? <laughs> A victim, victim. All right, we're all victims, right? Because that's this generation at the end times. We we're all victims, and there's and and what's right for me is what's right for me is not right for you, and and you know if that's the way you want to live, that's fine. But I don't feel that I have any of that pressure on me to please God or to do any of that or to believe you know that's and even the areas of right and wrong. Well, that's, that might be right and wrong to you, but that's not right and wrong to me. So I can't use my moral code in these days. So does that mean there is no moral code in their mind? Well, there is, right? And so that's what we talked about. Find out what their moral code, moral code is, and the way you find that out is by letting them go on and on about their victimhood. We're actually using what's going on that the Bible says is going to go on, that they are going to be hardened, but yet they are Selfish. And so now, um, what's victimhood really about is don't do me injury. Any, everyone does me injury. You know, you don't understand me, you hurt me. You, and so how? How are they hurting you, all right? And the example I used was lying. How many of you like being lied to? I've never found anyone that says, I like being lied to, that's morally good. Well then, is, is being lied to good? Is it something you enjoy? Oh, I hate that. Is being cheated on by your spouse good? Uh, No, I hate that. Well, that's a moral code. And their moral code is um, anything that makes them feel bad or does them injury is wrong. Well, that is a code of what is right and wrong, and we should use that. And that is one beginning point. But how adequate is this? It's limited, isn't it? Uh, Especially if their conscience has been seared quite a bit. Um, or there has been rubbed down. And most people's consciences in the end times will be in that condition. Uh, they will resist. And the Bible says, as Janice and Jambres resisted Moses. Now, what was that all about? So these men will resist the truth. So uh, the end times, that's Paul talking to Timothy. Uh, this is what's going to be like. So what was Janice and Jambres? Who were they? They're not, listed, they're not named in the Bible except in that passage. All right, Bill, who's Janice and Jabris? All right. In this confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh to establish that Moses is truly the representative of the one true and living God, we have this contest of the power of God versus the magic of Egypt. And in the Talmud and in some other documents, um, we have them named as Janice and Jambres, and one of those is in Timothy. And so Paul would have had access to that information and shares that 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 is their names. So there was some accurate record-keeping there. That Janus and Jambres were the names of the main magicians that were trying to replicate what Moses did and advised Pharaoh that you can ignore this guy. He's just a a magician of another sort, uh, claiming to be a representative of God. These aren't God things. These are, we can... We can replicate them. Well, how long did that last? <laughs> the replication didn't last very long, did it? And so very quickly they were like, we can't conjure this stuff up uh, on this scale at, at all and uh, we might be able to take water to blood, but we can't do it everywhere and we and what would be more valuable if you could turn blood back to water? That would be something that would be helpful. Um, but they were able to replicate that, but not the others. And so, but they were resisting Moses. They were probably the main advisors to Pharaoh against uh, being uh, surrendering to this overwhelming use of force by Moses in the plagues. And some have even said, well, we probably would have only had five plagues if there weren't for Janice and Jambres. Because remember, Pharaoh was ready to capitulate multiple times. And then it says, harden his heart. What instruments did God use to harden Pharaoh's heart? Well, Janice and Jambres come up in this document. They were one of the instruments to harden Pharaoh's heart that God used. And so they, they uh, even though they couldn't replicate the thing, they were just resisted. And they tried to prove Moses wrong. They were resistant. So these people will have a conscience that will resist. So the probability is, is that while this moral code is a good starting place, especially with those who aren't really hard in their heart but they are products of an environment that has no moral code of absolutes okay no absolute moral code and there's a lot of victims of that they have a no moral code because their society has no moral code not because they have ever thought about it they're just the product of it all right and uh, the product of parents who are going to defend their kids no matter what they do. They're always, Johnny is good, Johnny's good, and he's murdered multiple people. He's still a good boy. Well, he's not, and, but that relativism has come in. So we're talking about how are we going to share the gospel with a morally relative uh, society, culture. And so uh, we looked at their moral code. We want to start there, because that's their sense of what's right and wrong. If you've, done so, if you've made me feel bad, if you've done injury to me, that's wrong. Well, now the question is, have you ever done that to someone else? These girls are gossiping about me. These people are mean to me on on social media. Uh, and that happens in our schools, right? We have children committing suicide over that in junior high and mid, no, junior high, it's middle school and high school. And even in the college, that they can't handle the social ridicule. And it's like, well, have you ever done that to anyone else? Um, has any, have you ever made fun of... And, and so we can take their moral code and now say, well, are you guilty of these same things? We're trying to establish that they are sinners. That's all we're trying. We're not trying to make them feel a feel, uh, uh, sorrow over it. We're just trying to have them mentally agree that they have sin. And there's a great difference between confronting them with that truth and trying to convict them of that truth. Um, and, and that's the distinguishment. One is trying to inform the conscience, while the other one is trying to awaken it and, and bring godly sorrow. We're not trying to break them down. I'm not going to keep hammering on them until they start crying. I just want them to acknowledge they're a sinner, that they need a Savior. That's all I want to establish, and right now that's really hard in our culture. Uh, not just in America, but universally, it's just hard in, our, in in the culture that media has created and this this relativism, there's no right or wrong. Well, there really is. So we're going to try address it. So uh, we, we've tried that, and maybe we've had some success. Um, but and, and if you have success, don't end there. That's not the conclusion of it that I've informed them that they are a sinner. That's the beginning. It's a good beginning point in this culture of victimization and of no absolute standard of right and wrong. It's beginning with their own moral code, as weak and as small and as selfish as it is. But we don't want to stop there. But if they, if, whether they react positively or negatively to this, I think it is important that we go further. And so that takes us into the next moral code. What, what's the next code that we should use? And again, not one that necessarily we uh, uh, live by fully, strangely. Okay, what's the second code? Uh, Whose is it? This is their code. All codes are ethics, are are what they feel is right and wrong. I wouldn't even use society because our society has no codes. All right, I think it's God's code, the the law. We'll call it um, Israel's code. And that's really summed up in what? All right, Ten Commandments. And we're not talking about all the religious law. We're not talking about all of that. Uh, I can spell tonight. Did you notice that? Um, last week, my brain was in a fog so because of medication and things. So um, praise the Lord we got through it, though. Hopefully I did this really well last week because I don't hardly remember. Um, so we go to Israel's moral law. Moral code. This is in the Bible. Now we have a scripture. We're going to. We're taking this step. Now, do we? Are we held to the law? No, no. And 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 we are. Christ completed the law, and so um, we're not saying this is my moral code. This is not my moral code because we have a different moral code than this. I hope. I hope we have a higher moral code than this. Jesus taught us better. But let's start off with these Ten Commandments. What is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? Was it to get you into heaven? Could you keep the Ten Commandments and get to heaven? No. So you're not talking about an ultimate moral code. You're just talking about a moral code. What was the purpose of the law? Exactly. So let's use it for its purpose. Its purpose is to show us we are sinners. So, but what we can do is we can attach a name to the Ten Commandments. We can attach the name of God, right? Because God wrote the Ten Commandments, correct? See, now we're going from what's right and wrong, well, I do wrong things, to other people i mean, I gossip about them, I lie to them, I steal, I cheat. Whatever it is that I do to others that I don't like them doing to me, now I can go in... And I can talk about this moral code. Well, let's see what God's standard is—not for getting into heaven, but let's just say a basic, minimal standard of what's uh, to measure us by. Let's just measure ourselves by this code. And so, and again, I talked last week, I think, about Living Water Ministry, and this is their whole focus: is that we go to them with the Ten Commandments, we ask them if you're—if God is your judge. would he allow you into heaven based upon these Ten Commandments? Now, that's not the measure of heaven in terms of righteousness, but it can be used as a measure of sinfulness, of disqualification. We're trying to demonstrate that they are disqualified from God's heaven by God's commandments. And so uh, let's start off with some. So let's just start with one. Which one do you think you would start with? I like to start with one because everyone and I already used it. And you should not lie, all right? How hard is it to get people to admit that they're liars? It is incredibly easy. You can't believe how easy it is that people will admit openly that they have lied. Have you ever lied to anybody? Parents, teachers, boss, spouse? Yes. Multiples, yeah, what does that make you? A liar. Okay, well, God says thou shalt not lie. So if you've told a lie, now you're guilty of one of these. And what's another one? Easy one. Steal. Steal. You guys know the Ten Commandments? I hope you know them. We make the young people memorize them for this very reason. So that they know what sin is. Ah, oh, disobey your parents, thank you. That's a pretty easy one. Do you disobey your parents? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? How many people will admit that they've disobeyed their parents? Everyone, all right? And that's our whole point. We want to really focus in, because usually when people want to justify themselves, what are they going to say? Every, no, if they want to justify themselves against the law. I've never killed anyone, Right? So I don't start with that. <laughs> okay? Cuz that's what they use to justify that, you know, I'm not the worst sinner in the world. Cuz I've never killed anyone or anything, and I don't sleep around. All right? But it's pretty easy to get them to admit they're liars, to admit that they are rebellious children, we're rebellious children, and even stealing you'd be surprised how often you get them. Have you ever stolen anything? Picked up something that wasn't yours, you know? Kind of cheated people? stealing. Uh, Yes. Have you ever coveted stuff that was not yours? Yes. Our whole our whole economy is set up on covets. This is the foundation of capitalism. Um, Every advertisement on TV that wants you to buy stuff is banking on that you are a good coveter. And if you see Johnny has it, that you need it. Okay? And so so here's four. and, And and. Believe it or not, this one is easy for people to admit to, and that is to um, curse God's name. Right? Have you ever cursed, used God's words a curse word? God's name is a curse word, and generally they'll be willing to acknowledge this. They'll be certainly willing to acknowledge coveting, stealing, us off and on, lying, disobeying, and I don't really have to get into the Sabbath. Do you keep the Sabbath? No, I don't get into that. I don't get into murder. You don't need to do that. And if you watch any of Living Waters' uh, engagements, because they just show the engagement. They get permission from the people to show the engagement. And they just do this with people on the street. And he'll focus it on these. But he'll also add one more. He consistently does that. Um, and that is of Adultery. Um, and he goes to Jesus' use of adultery, and I'm going to contend that he is doing that for a reason. He's introducing a concept that's going to lead to our next level of confrontation, and that is lust. How does he do that? Thou shalt not commit adultery was the commandment. How does he transition that to lust? How does... How do we transition thou shalt not commit adultery? Because people say, Well, I've been faithful to my wife or my husband. I haven't done that. I don't commit fornication, and adultery. Um, how do we transition that to lust? Right, Jesus said. So I introduce another name. This is why he uses this, because and, and he's written this in his book. And so this is why he uses adultery and lust, because now I can introduce the name of Jesus. That Jesus said that if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And so, have you ever lusted? Oh, yes. People readily acknowledge lusting after other individuals. And so now I've got them one, two, three, four, five for sure, you sometimes six. And we can just now, I'm like, well, you've, you've broken like over half the Ten Commandments and we haven't even gotten any further. Do we need to go further? Are you guilty? Based upon God's Ten Commandments, are you guilty or innocent? And I'm not trying to make them cry. They could cry while we're having this conversation if they're responding to the Holy Spirit's conviction. But I'm not trying to make that happen. I'm just trying to get them to acknowledge, that's your mind, that they are sinners. And so are you guilty? And so should God let you into heaven if you're guilty of five of the main ten? Six of the main ten. Um, you're a liar. You're you're adulterous in your heart. You're you're a thief. You're you're a, a rebellious child. You're you're a blasphemer. You've blasphemed God's name. Used used it as a curse word. You've 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 desired after everyone's stuff. Are you guilty? Yes. Based upon that standard, I'm guilty. On on this Israel's moral code, of the Ten Commandments. And this is why the battle over public presentation of the Ten Commandments is worth fighting for. Because it's a reminder that all men are guilty before God. I don't care about the municipal code, the state code, the federal code. Okay? You know, and I'm not going to come to people with, with those codes. Do you speed? I'm not going to use the state's moral code because a lot of those have no bearing on ethics. They're just preferences and and sometimes random things and and, uh, things on that side. But here we have God's moral code, and we can sit here and now you've agreed to five or six out of the ten already, and uh, I don't mention murder. Um, He sometimes does. I've noticed with some people, um, he'll talk about have you hated somebody for no reason, and that makes you guilty of murder, he'll use that one as well. And, but um, we want them to understand that they are guilty before God. So now we've taken them from their moral code to now God, a moral code produced by God because he is their judge. And this brings us to the other word that we want to distinguish. Judge. What does it mean to judge someone? Okay, that's one one concept is that I am I have the the authority to penalize you for mis- for misbehavior. Okay, um, but but even before the penalization, what is it to judge? Determine guilt or innocence. Guilt or innocence. Good. But even before that, before you even determine whether they're they're guilty or innocent, there's another concept of judging. All right, we're measuring people. We're measuring you. So I'm not saying I think it's wrong. I never use my moral code. All right? And nor am I going to sit there and condemn. In fact, um, can I agree that I do those things? Can I agree that I committed these, broke these commandments in my life? Yes. So I am a sinner as I am convincing, trying to convince them or at least awaken their mind to the fact that they are sinners and guilty. I was guilty of these things too. I broke God's code. You break your own code and, and I break my own code, but, but I don't need to share my own code. You break, you break your own moral code, and now you're breaking God's code, a moral code that God gave us. And It's not the moral code. It's not capital T-H-E, right? And so what am I judging them? So we're going to avoid convict, trying to convict them. We pray for the Holy Spirit to do that, and he is faithful. He will do his job. Holy Spirit will convict people even in this day. But we need to be recognized that I need to confront them. If Now, a generation ago, people knew the Ten Commandments. They were in our public schools. Okay? In 1962 in Dallas, Texas, um, the Bible was a textbook in the public schools. Think about that. Okay? So they were familiar with this. I... Um, and, and, and I wasn't well I was alive in 1962 I was in my mommy's tummy and then later on breathing air um, but uh, in, in my life when I was in, in middle school we had uh, no high school I guess it was high school we had electives where right? we could do the bible in public school I took the class aced it. it was pretty good because I went to Sunday school all my life I knew my Bible. I was the only kid in the class that knew what a concordance was. <laughs> she said, you need a concordance. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, yeah. It's at the back of your Bible. It tells you all these words and what scripture reference you can look up. So, uh, so that when we talk about the end times, we have no contact anymore with this. It has been eradicated from public view, from public knowledge. And so we're introducing them to these Ten Commandments. The older generation will be aware of them. The younger generation might not have any. That's why we start here, and then we move to here. Well, you know, God has a moral code, too. God has a standard. And his standard is, and here's some of the standards, that, and we call these the Ten Commandments. You have to be that, low, that that can't assume that they know that there are Ten Commandments somewhere in the Bible. But what will often be the response and, often the, and, and rightly the response is you're judging me. You are making evaluation of me. You are measuring whether I am good or bad. And that is not your job. That is not our role is to be their judge. And so at this point, we are very careful saying God is the judge. He, this is his evaluation of you. This is the standard, this is a standard that we, that we know comes from God. And he is the judge of all the earth. He is the one who decides who goes into heaven or not, not you and not me. It's his heaven. Agreed? So we, we bring that to him. And we are careful not to set ourselves up or to even be imagined as judge, because that is a very prevalent attitude that we see today. Is you don't, you can't judge me, right, Andrea? Yes. Now, why did I pick out Andrea? Because when we met her, she had three phrases that were all three words long that she used continuously, and one of them is "Don't judge me," right? I don't know where she picked them up. Well, I do know it's culture. All right, and. Um, that's a prevalent attitude. You're all right with me picking on you, aren't you? Okay. It's, it's softer than a snowball. <laughs> I was throwing snowballs out yesterday at the Bahamas, so we had a snowball fight. I won, just so you know. So we don't want to portray ourselves, and we don't want to portray the gospel that way. We want them to judge themselves. So I'm asking you, I don't know, I'm not even saying you've done this. I know you lied to me. No, I'm not doing that. I say, have you ever lied? Yes. And, and this be, you know, I can go through all of this and let them confess it. We're bringing them so that now I'm not the judge. You are not the judge of these people. You're not going there, you are a sinner and I've seen you do this and I've seen you drunk and I've seen you lie and I know you curse God. And I. No, you've set yourself up as a judge. And that is how they're going to perceive that. And they've been trained to perceive it that way by our culture. If you go back, I talked this morning about the 20s and the preaching. If you go back to those preaching, boy, they really hammered you, didn't they? I mean, they just pointed that finger at you and said, you are a sinner. And and and, and people just let that happen. Uh, Nowadays, you try that in these end times because of the... Culture that we are in and the social training their conclusion is you're judging me you are measuring me whether I'm good or bad and you don't have the right to do that and I will contend they are correct you don't have the right to do that and so we use God's moral code to do that So, I'm not using my standard, I'm not using my estimation of them, and so I'm not pointing the finger at them declaring their sinfulness. I am inviting them to acknowledge their sinfulness by bringing them into uh, contact with God's moral code. Okay? And this is what it means when we talk about are you a sinner? And this is what the law is for. It's the law is to instruct us in our that we are sinners and cannot meet God's standard. And God is the judge. So we don't want to this, we don't want to be the convictors. God is the convictor. God is the judge. But we are called by God to confront sin even in these times. And so those examples that we saw uh, in uh, Luke, that we studied last week, right? We looked at Luke 5 and Luke 7. Well, I, I want us to uh, recognize, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Let's go to Romans 1. Let's look at this one. We had Luke 5 and 7 as our example last week, where Jesus Christ was engaging people. Let's go to Romans 1, and we're really gonna, I, I'd like to take three chapters here. Uh, and, and really, because this is what Paul does, and, and remember Romans, he's writing to people that he hasn't directly ministered to. He knows a lot of people in the church, but he writes this trying to share, this is the gospel that I preach. And um, we find it in verse 16 of chapter one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ as the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes, Jew first, also for the Greek, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As is written, the just shall live by faith. And so we're trying to share the gospel, and part of the gospel is revealing the righteousness of God. All right? Now, you might think the first thing he's going to do is how he confronts people with the righteousness of God, but he doesn't. He says, here's number one hurdle. is those who suppress the truth. Are we in an era that suppresses the truth? <laughs> oh yeah, big time. Uh, not even just God's truth, just all truth is suppressed. You know, everything that the media puts out there right now is carefully crafted to deceive. I mean, let's just be honest. That's what it's there for. Uh, that's its intent. And so, um, verse 18 of chapter 1, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteous of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because... And then he talks about what may be known of God as manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. They have a conscience. We see it in the created order, he says there, but they didn't glorify God. They, they claim to be wise, verse 22, but they're actually fools. And uh, they change the image of God to idols. And then verse 24 is, well, look how quickly he gets to how really bad it could be. And this is important for us in the end times because this is how bad it will be. God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, so they, they exchanged the truth for a lie. And that's what we're trying to counter. That's what we have all around us in our society. And it's really hard to share the gospel there. We have to keep drawing them back to an absolute standard. We start by having a standard at all. That's number one. Number two, I'm coming to a divinely originated standard, which is still not the standard, but it is one that they fail as well. And it's of divine origin. And so, um, so the first thing we find is that they exchange the truth for a lies. We're trying to get them back to the truth before it's too late. How do I know it's too late? Well, verse 26, for this reason, so because they exchanged the truth for a lie, God gave them up to vile passions, even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, receiving themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to debased minds, to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Do you get the idea? Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So Paul was well aware and and recognized that this debaseness can get really bad. And it did in the Roman Empire. It it wasn't, remember we talked, did we talk last week about the Roman Empire going from virtue to disgustingness over the centuries of the Roman Empire, the degrading of their culture, from these powerful virtues that the kingdom was established to the debauchery of the later uh, Caesars who claimed to be gods themselves. Okay, And when we look at this passage, Paul says, I want to proclaim the gospel, but I'm not going to tell you all that Jesus did first. No, the first thing I want to talk to you is that Here's the great hurdle. The great hurdle is is this degradation of man from denying there's an absolute standard, exchanging the truth for a lie, and now being debauched in their behaviors. Um, And uh, not just the Ten Commandments, but going even further, of being unmerciful, of of being... You know, that last list is, I think, really important, that they are undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. But notice, verse 32 is the problem. Verse 32 tells us something. They know, knowing the righteous judgment of God, and they don't know that right now. This is the problem with many in our cultures. They don't know this principle So we're using the Ten Commandments not to judge them, but to let them know that God is their judge and that he will judge them. He will be the determiner of who comes into heaven and who doesn't. This is what they need to know. Can they still reject it? Certainly. These people knew the righteous judgment of God, that they are deserving of death, but instead they'd only continue in it, but they encourage others in it. So we're using this standard to try to convict, or sorry, to try to confront them with this as a truth. Okay? So if we go back to John 16, the work of the Holy Spirit and conviction, what does he convict them of? Sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. Okay, we want to touch all those. Because we're not convicting, we are confronting them. So we're confronting them with their sin. So what else are we going to confront them with? Righteousness. This is the third moral code. Righteousness. And we might use the word godliness. Okay? How do we introduce people to the code of righteousness? Righteousness. Anybody? Thank you. Living it. Living it. They should see your works and glorify God in heaven. They should see you living a standard that is so far above even the Ten Commandments that they are gaped in their mouth over it. Or jaw should drop. They should come to you and say, what is the deal with you? And they might even ask you a question like, why? Which is the best questions to answer. I love when they ask you why. But we should give them cause to ask us why. And so we come to this and what is the, the evidence of the righteousness of God uh, well, it should be in us, that we're going to do the opposite of this list. If they're undiscerning, we're going to be discerning. If they're untrustworthy, we're going to be trustworthy. If they're unloving, we're going to be loving. If, they're, if unforgiving doesn't please God, then we should be forgiving. If unmerciful doesn't please God, merciful should be. We should, not, we should be the opposite of all these things, and so um, we should be honoring our mother and father uh, because this is right, and, and not just so our days will be long upon the earth, but because we want to be a testimony of, to my little buddies. So even on a child level, we can show other people what it means to live righteousness that is above the law. When I said we don't really keep the law, I didn't mean that we are lawless. We have a higher standard than the law. We don't concern ourselves with the law. I'm not worried about murdering people. I'm more concerned about hating them. I'm not really worried about committing adultery I'm more concerned about lusting. I'm not worried about stealing, I'm more concerned about desiring or coveting. And why would I want and having the love of money in my life? That thinking that that's going to bring me any kind of happiness. And so and and similarly with the other I'm living above the law because I have the righteousness of Christ applied to me and I should walk in godliness. I live a different standard Do I impose impose that standard on others? Do I measure them by this standard? Will God? Yes. Please know that. The righteousness of God makes them deserving of death. So, first of all, we should be showing this standard to people that I'm going to try to live godly in this present world. <clears throat> I'm going to live to a different standard. And so I'm not going to join you in your debauchery. I'm not going to join you in cheating my boss. I'm not going to join you in gossiping. I'm not going to join you in those things. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be a, uh, and I'm not going to I'm not going to judge you over those things. I'm just choosing not to be a part of that and with the hopes that they say, "Oh, you know, that's there's something different about these people, this person. There's something distinguishable. We can tell the difference between them and us. That's um. And by the way, um, chapter two is really what I wanted to get to, and my time's over. How does this happen? Uh, verse one. Therefore, you are inexcusable, man. Whoever you are, who judge for whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you judge prac for. For you who judge, practice the same things. Okay? We cannot sit there and call people to confront them with their moral code if we're practicing the same things. Would you agree with that? We can say, this is who I was, but I am no longer. I shouldn't be practicing these things in my life. I should be a shining light of the righteousness of God to people. It is part of what we call your testimony. Your testimony isn't how you got saved. The testimony is how are you living the righteousness of Christ every day. That's your first testimony. Okay, when you tarnish that, you're going to have very few opportunities to share that that what we call their testimony, how you got saved. You have very few opportunities to share that if what they see in you violates that. So they should see us living a standard that is so distinguishable, so evident, that it is the righteousness of God, it's godliness. Will they be measured by this code? Yes. And my my statement to many of them, if they want to really engage me in conversation, is, well, I haven't really attained fully, but I'm striving after it. Does that sound familiar? Philippians chapter 3, Paul again speaking. I haven't attained to it, but I'm trying to be more more and more pleasing to God. I'm working hard on it uh, because that's the standard. Now, did I get to this by act of will? Can you reach this by act of your will? This is a trick question. Not alone. You need someone to help you get here, right? Right? So I can talk about the Ten Commandments. It says, well, you're guilty. You're not allowed into heaven. So now what? Well, God's standard is actually higher than the Ten Commandments. And by his grace and mercy, now we can get to Jesus Christ, which is going to lead us a little bit farther along. Um, I have a lot of other verses. I'll finish this up next week. Will I do it next week? Yes, I'll do it next week. I'm trying to think of when the Valentine's dinner is. 13th. That's not next week. That's two weeks. So next week we're going to... Look at this and try to finish this up. How do we confront sin in a morally relativistic world? And again, you got to confront with a moral standard. We're developing it. Your living starts here. What they see in your life should be here. Your beginning with them is here, especially if it's stranger. Living Waters is confronting strangers on the street that they don't know anything about and they've never seen anything about them. But it's amazing how many times at the end of the conversation people will thank him for caring about them enough to talk to him about this. I am dumbfounded when I watch all of these videos of him engaging people and, at the beach and at the marketplace. How many people um, say, well, you know, they don't accept Christ, but they thank him for caring enough about them to even have the conversation. It's amazing. I'm sure he gets, I mean, he shows the videos of when they spit at him and call him names and threaten him and say, get lost, and all these things. Um, but the ones that actually engage in conversation um, will, will, just in that five-minute, seven, ten-minute conversation he has with them, um, even if they walk away and don't want, they'll thank him. Because they know that he's gone out of his way to engage a stranger, and guess what? That's godliness. I love you enough to do this. That's loving, and that's the opposite of this world that is unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. But I'm not coming to you as as your judge. I'm coming to you as a friend trying to help you to the truth. Okay? So we want to finish this section of Scripture. We want to go into Ephesians as well um, to finish this section out of sharing the gospel. But don't bypass this, please. And, And in your development, in your praying for people, pray for God's conviction, but pray that you will have the boldness to confront them properly uh, and consistently live it in front of them and get them to this point. Because now you have God and Jesus (laughs) in the equation. And they might say, I don't believe in God. It's like, okay, and and this guy will never engage in that. He'll just say, well, let's just, just say And by the way, here I usually insert the fact that heaven's a perfect place. Are you? Okay, that's this new standard, this third standard. All right, I've gotten really late. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us and for all that you've done to rescue us and deliver us from the judgment we deserved because of our sin and rebellion. And Lord, we continue to marvel every day at your grace, your mercy your love for us, and your patience with us. And Lord, help us to uh, just continue to uh, look for all those opportunities to encounter and engage people with the gospel. Some of these people we've known all our lives and still don't follow after you. And Lord, we love them. We know you love them more. Uh, Lord, pray that you might bring people into their lives that will confront them with the gospel, that your spirit might continue to convict them. And Lord, this week, help us to live in such a manner before men that they might see what we do and ask the reason for the hope that's in us, and that we might not be wishy-washy about it, but point them directly to the difference you've made in our life, and that we might confront them with their need for you to make a difference in their life uh, because of their sin, in Christ Jesus' name.